This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. Late last week, news broke that the Department of Justice is preparing to bring upwards of 45 new charges against former President Donald J. Trump. Known as superseding indictments, this second set of charges will include more serious crimes and represents another grave blow to Trump as he desperately tries to evade justice. Now, it's all part of special prosecutor Jack Smith's grand strategy to grind Trump down and force those around him to flip or face prison themselves. In addition, they may decide to bring those additional charges in a separate venue, depending on the actions of Judge Eileen Cannon, who is currently overseeing the case against Trump in the Southern District of Florida and has previously shown undue deference to the twice-indicted, twice-impeached former president. According to The Independent, the team of federal prosecutors working under special counsel Jack Smith is currently prepared to add an additional 30 to 45 charges, in addition to the 37-count indictment brought against Mr. Trump, either in a superseding indictment in the same Florida court or in a different federal judicial district. In either case, they would do so using evidence against the ex-president that has not yet been publicly acknowledged by the department, including other recordings prosecutors have obtained which reveal Mr. Trump making incriminating statements. The indictment against Trump and his co-defendant, Walt Nada, left out several threads investigators pursued as recently as May, according to CNN, including possible gaps in surveillance footage and the handling of classified documents at Trump's Bedminster, New Jersey golf club, where he was recorded discussing a classified document that he himself admitted that he did not declassify. And I quote, A superseding indictment adding additional charges and potentially additional defendants is pretty common in a complex case as the investigation continues and collects more evidence, former federal prosecutor Noah Bookbinder, the head of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, wrote on his Twitter feed. That one is reportedly likely for Donald Trump is ominous for him, though. But that's not all, folks. Not by a fucking long shot. The Independent also added, It is understood that Mr. Smith's team is ready to bring charges against several of the attorneys who have worked for Mr. Trump, including those who aided the ex-president to his push to ignore the will of voters and remain in the White House despite having lost the 2020 election. (laughs) I mean, my friends, guess who that is? Yeah, it's Rudy Colludi fucking drunken Giuliani. America's mayor turned drunken buffoon and farting Trump attorney. Now lurking behind the scenes is former congressman and Trump chief of staff Mark the Moron Meadows, who recently signed a cooperation agreement to avoid serious prison time by agreeing to provide evidence against Trump and others in exchange for DOJ leniency. This superseding indictment is likely the fruits of that labor. Now, Meadows played a central role in every part of the January 6th scheme. I mean, pressuring Georgia election officials to claw back Biden's electors. Assembling the slates of fake swing state electors in concert with the Trump campaign and having them submit fake electoral certificates. 
ordering the Justice Department to investigate false claims of election fraud, and then finally coordinating the speech on the ellipse and subsequent march on the Capitol. Now, meanwhile, a deluded and obviously fucking insane Donald Trump continues to live in a fantasy of his own making. Rolling Stone is reporting that last month, Trump demanded the return of my documents and my boxes, even asking his lawyers if they could reclaim them from the federal government after they informed him that he would soon be indicted. I mean, he must really want those golf fucking shirts back and his depends. In another exchange, Trump asserted that those materials belonged to me and claimed that it was illegal for him to no longer have access to the documents seized in the FBI search of Mar-a-Lardo last August. He also asked about what other legal tactics or court filings his team could employ to get them back and they may not have thought of as of this day. Now Trump truly believes that he will get the seized materials back in 2025. And why? Because he believes that he will be re-elected and have absolute unchallenged access to them and a host of other government information as well. Now Trump is basing this latest bullshit on a manipulated view of the Presidential Records Act that some in his circle have cited. I mean, these people are giving him just the worst fucking advice and they're giving him false hope that he has a legal basis for these demands. But in reality, the idiot has zero truth and nor does it protect him from the violations of the Espionage Act. Nevertheless, he's used the silver of hope to pour gasoline on this dumpster fire of a legal theory. Now, whatever documents a president decides to take with him, he has the absolute right to take them, he told the audience at the Faith and Freedom Coalition conference last week. He said, and I quote, he has the absolute right to keep them, or he can give them back to the government if he wants. That's the law, and it couldn't be more clear. No, no, you're making shit up. I mean, he also then repeated this refrain during an interview with Fox News host Brett Baer last week when he told the host that he has every right to those boxes that the FBI seized. I mean, this is purely a Presidential Records Act. This is not a criminal thing, Trump moaned and groaned. But then on Wednesday afternoon, his campaign also sent out an email blast to the media on Wednesday, right, saying that Trump is right. The Presidential Records Act allows presidents to take whatever documents they want. I mean, once again, misinformation, disinformation, malinformation. So conservative legal nonprofit Judicial Watch, which is closely aligned with Trump, published an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal arguing that the classified materials Trump had taken were not agency records as outlined by the PRA, and that his decision to maintain the records cannot be second-guessed. So watching Trump squirm under the lights, I mean, it's fucking fantastic. And Jack Smith's strategy to bury Trump in charges and work around Judge Eileen Cannon is equally brilliant. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, the man is fucking finished. He's toast because Smith will not stop, nor will the DOJ. The only shot that Trump has is for him either to get a mistrial or to be somehow elected president and put his finger on the scales of justice for, well, you know who, for himself. And for those of you who say that the man is finished politically, well, I also say not so fucking fast. 
You see, DeSantis should really be called disaster. The man couldn't win a pie-eating contest right now. I don't care what anybody says, he could not win. And Chris Christie, I mean, who could definitely win every pie-eating contest, he's doing even fucking worse than DeSantis. Whatever, they're all the same kind of rotten. I mean, this keeps Trump viable, who's still destroying old GOP comers in the polls and is more popular than ever with his MAGA lunatic base. Every single time that he gets indicted, well, what does the motherfucker do? Well, he goes out and he raises more money. And one of the only slivers of hope in squashing Trump is through the Koch brothers, who have thus far raised more than $70 million to defeat Trump in 2024. I mean, you know that we're living in frightening times when we're, we, we as the Democratic Party are looking to the ultra-conservative Kochs to rescue democracy. Even more bizarre is the quixotic campaign of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's likely a bug who refuses to just be squashed. Other than Donald Trump, this man is the most dangerous and obviously deranged of the bunch. You see, the problem is that because he's a fucking Kennedy and he looks just like his father, well, a lot of people are giving him a pass. But what I want you to do is to close your eyes and listen. Listen to the words and what you will hear is the sound of madness coming from a sick and deranged individual. His candidacy has support from the right and figures like Steve Bannon and Donald Trump. And if you watch Fox News, then you think he was the second coming. New York Magazine referred to him in a recent cover story as a political arsonist, and I couldn't agree more. His core constituency includes anti-vax yoga mommies and what other conspiracy-minded wellness freaks who drifted into the QAnon camp over COVID. Kennedy doesn't stop there, though, blaming school shootings on antidepressants and a host of other bullshit rantings. I mean, that's fucked up. But nonetheless, he maintains a passionate following who sees his ascension as a writing of the historical continuum that was knocked off its axis when JFK was assassinated in 1963, followed by his father, Robert F. Kennedy Sr., five years later. In these people's minds, RFK Jr. represents a restoration of Camelot and the greatness that his forebearers exemplified. Now, Michelle Goldberg, writing in Friday's New York Times, added, and I quote, To those of us who see Kennedy as an anti-vax conspiracy theorist, his campaign looks like either a farce or a dirty trick, one boosted by MAGA figures like Roger Stone and Steve Bannon to weaken Biden ahead of the 2024 election. But to many in his substantial following, it has a messianic cast promising deliverance from the division and confusion that began with the JFK assassination and reached a terrifying apotheosis during the COVID pandemic. We are in the last battle, Kennedy said in a 2021 speech at a California church famous for denying pandemic restrictions. This is the apocalypse. We are fighting for the salvation of all humanity. I mean, I'm not sure what the fuck he's talking about, but okay. So, listeners, I want you to remember that we had Junior on the show last year, and he was a bully and a crank, pushing out a host of conspiracies and generally losing his temper when I dared to disagree with him or brought up past statements, 
What happened is it's an excellent episode. What happened there is he had already his preconceived answers. He knew what he was going to say. It's the same shit that he keeps saying. But the bad part for him is that it's wrong. It was wrong then and it's wrong now. And I don't know what the future holds, but let's pray to God that it doesn't include Robert Kennedy Jr. Welcome to the Chicago Board of Trade and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. In the 1980s, they were the largest financial markets in the world. This guy made two million, this guy made three million, this guy made four million. It was like a, an ATM machine for uh, traders. Traders were making money hand over fist, and they thought it was their own little secret. Four FBI men wearing wires infiltrated the Board of Trade and the Mercantile Exchange. This lavish and daring undercover operation was the most expensive in the Bureau's history. But was it successful? It all depends who you ask. The FBI used extraordinary means to detect extraordinary fraud. They were down there to expose a big cheating scandal, did they? I don't think they did. From Entropy Media, this is Brokers, Bagmen, and Moles. Available now wherever you listen. And now for the main event. Well, we have a surprise guest for all of you today on Mea Culpa. I mean, secret, secret, I got a secret, and it's none other than Aubrey O'Day. A former protege of Sean Diddy Combs, Aubrey first rose to prominence as the lead singer for the girl group Danity Kane, and later on Broadway in Hairspray. In 2011, she signed a solo record deal with Motown Universal and released her debut album, Between Two Evils. I mean, it was as a cast member of Celebrity Apprentice that Aubrey first entered the Trump orbit. And despite being fired from the show by Donald Trump, she began a torrid love affair with Don Jr., who she referred to at the time as her soulmate. In fact, Don Jr. called her her soulmate too. And years later, she's changed her mind after watching what Don turned into after Donald Trump ascended to the presidency, and then Jr. refashioning himself into a fire-breathing populist conservative. Aubrey joins us today to give us the lowdown on her time with Don Jr. and insight into the family. I mean, this one gets a little saucy, folks, so let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Aubrey, it's been a while since you and I have seen one another. In fact, a lot of people don't know this because the newspapers reported when you and I were walking out of the Regency Hotel in New York, it almost appeared as if you and I had known each other for God knows how many years. I think that was the very first time we ever met in person. No, we have met so many times. You, We even talked about it when we were at dinner. We've met multiple times during like the, uh, we've talked a lot during the periods of not wanting the fair to get out. And then we met during a bunch of events for Celebrity Yes, Apprentice. for The Apprentice. But I'm, what, you know what, you're right. I didn't mean it that we hadn't seen or met each other in person. I'm talking the first time that we were ever, the first time that you and I ever had a one-on-one conversation um, in person. You know, yeah, when... I was around 20 different people at an apprentice event. It's This is like the first time that we ever had a chance to sit down and to just really shoot the shit in person, you know, which I really enjoyed. And I got to be honest with you, the stuff that 
you were telling me I'm fascinated by. So we're going to spend some time here. And I want to start today by asking you about, obviously, how you're connected into all of this. And that's Donald Trump Jr. Now, you guys spent a lot of time what you described as pruning, meaning that you sat in Junior's steam shower and that you told each other your deepest, darkest family and personal secrets until your fingers pruned, hence the term pruning. So if you would, share how this thing even came about and your, the most shocking thing that you learned from Don Jr. about himself and his family, and then the most shocking thing that he told you of all. Um, it's so funny that you remember the word pruning. Um, so not in his shower, by the way, it would be in wherever we were shower, but, um, we had this thing where we would unload. I think we both, um, you know, I've called him my soulmate publicly. That's a very controversial thing to say, especially nowadays. He's definitely not seen in the way that I saw him then and likely that you saw him then. I know that you had more of a perspective of him through Trump's words about it's Trump senior's words about him or what would happen in rooms that you were in. But I saw a man and you know what a bleeding heart liberal I am. You know how I'm a social social justice warrior since I was born, raised by one. And there's no way that I ever could have loved somebody that uh, we see today. So that goes to show you how much transformation or potential posturing the man is doing or has done since the man that I would call my soulmate. I also don't discredit that word. I don't think if he were able to tell the truth, he would either since he called me his soulmate first. But, um, but what connected us was when I was 17, I know, I don't know how much you know about my life, but I, I, when well, I was in my I teens, just want you I, to understand, we have millions of listeners. And so I yeah, want you to enlighten them because you're a, yeah. you're a fascinating person. Thank you. You are as well. Um, so anyway, I, I, um, I got thrown into the industry at a very young age. I chose to, I went and auditioned for a show called making the band on MTV, where we would be signed to Diddy and bad boy and film an entire girl group being created and then made albums, went on tours. There were six or seven seasons of making the band. It was a cult MTV show. So I got taken out of what a world where I observed the that world and then I was put in that world quickly and um in order to get out of it and during it I kind of saw that there was a, a secret code if you will I don't know necessarily how to title it properly but you get used to understanding that there are certain things you say to the public and certain things that you don't that most of the powerful people that you work for have an identity or an image that you must protect if you are a part of the system. And you get used to doing that. You get so used to doing that that sometimes you could almost confuse it as truth, I believe. So, and, and that was something that actually came very easy to me because I was abused in childhood and got used to going to my private school and presenting myself as perfect and rich and and loved when really, uh, you know, half the time we were living in a car, there were all kinds of issues, domestic violence in the home, violence against me, you know, mental violence. I saw a lot of like 
horrific things happening, but I didn't want anyone at school to think that I was different than them. So I got used to kind of, I hate to say pretending because it is a piece of me, but pretending that I lived a certain way. So it was easy for me to kind of like mold into that world and, and, and probably easier than my other bandmates to do, which is why I was um, likely put in much crazier positions than any of them were. And then when I went to Celebrity Apprentice and, and you know, Trump is one story, Trump Sr. Dawn is something completely different. That didn't start happening until after the show had wrapped. Um, we were building love for each other, I believe, during the entire thing. We were building a friendship. We were building, I, I just, I think we noticed pretty quickly that we laughed every time everyone else wasn't. We would wink at each other when something was funny, but nobody else was willing to admit it. We would tell a witty little joke and in the middle of silence that no one else would understand except us. And we'd look at each other after we said it at the same time. We just saw each other's soul in one another. And I think that's likely because he was born into a name that he did not choose. He was born a Trump. We know he went and rebelled after college. He went and was a fucking bartender. Can I say that word, of by the way? Are we allowed can. to curse? Oh, my God. We are, um, we are an I unrated show here called Explicit. <laughs> yes, I love Explicit. It's my favorite way. Um, okay, so, so you know, he rebelled and, and went to Denver. I asked him one time, you were a bartender in Denver after this like education that you received and a you know welcome mat into a huge organization where you'd be an executive and running shit. And he was like, yeah. And I and he and I said, so that excited you? Weren't you bored? And he said, yeah. And I said, how long after you were there were you bored? And I think he said something like a couple months. And I said, how long did you stay? I think it was for around a year. I'm I'm not, mm -hmm. I don't You're know right. exact times. It was a lengthy period of time. And I said, why? And he was like, because fuck my dad. Um, and, you know, they were sending people there to get him to come home um, in all kinds of different ways. I don't know if you ever knew that or were I a did. part of that. I did. I, well, I was not part of it. I had heard the story. And I heard the story, as you did, from Don, where, and actually Don, um, Donald um, Sr. turned around and told me the story as well, that he gave Junior about 30 days advance notice that if he did not come back and join the company, he was never going to be welcome at the company. So you either stay in Denver and 10 bar, or you come and you get a massive office and you get money and you get the name and you get the title. And the wife that we've picked out for you as well was waiting for him when he got home too. So, 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 in all of that, I think you can kind of see that pattern that we've just both, uh, you know, discussed is knowing it, um, knowing it to be so, is is a common pattern in, in his life, and it kind of has been a common pattern in my life. Show up, do the job. Don't tell people what's really happening. Don't tell people what's going on behind the scenes. Don't tell people what everything really looks like. Work your ass off. We're going to steal all of your money. Keep your mouth shut or else we'll end your career. You don't have many options. 
Now, I, I stood on a line and asked to be an international pop star. He was born into it. So his pain and generational trauma runs deep. Mine runs deep in different ways because this parallel that I learned in childhood became very easy for me in a work at a work setting that was also unhealthy, which also then become became very easy for me to be in a relationship with Don, a married man with children is what everyone knew him to be until I started to understand through him what that meant to him, how that looked for people at that level of power and money and success. Um, I realized quickly, it's not the same family that all my best friends have built from back in my hometown. It's a completely different set of circumstances and roles. So let's so, go back. So, so let's go back to your pruning sessions, because, you know, you okay. explain the whole uh, deepest, darkest family secrets, I mean, your listen, trauma, his trauma and your beliefs behind it. But why? what did he tell when, you? So. Obviously, I will, if I ever want to share that, I will do it in my own way. Um, you know, you and I laughed when we discussed at dinner, you're out for war, and I told you I'm out for peace, and I stand by that. Like, whatever brings me peace is what I want. I've been telling everybody's lies for them for a very long time. I went to Bali because I was given medications by doctors that left me so numb and robotic that I... I think one more day of Trump flashing on my screen and knowing what he was, knowing what the family was through things like shower time and many other conversations, obviously, obviously that I had with a man that called me his soulmate and I called him mine. Do I want to uh, be a Wendy Williams gossip about his secret personal things? No, and, I, and I'm not interested in doing that today, but I will say to you, I think that there are um, many similarities in his trauma and mine. I think there is always a need to want to have to please his father. And this father was never pleased enough with him. And you told me many stories when we talked about how he was kind of replaceable and like the idiot that was a drunk and constantly fucking up. And I don't know how much of that he was told I heard through various stories that he definitely was aware that that's how he was seen. Well, there's no doubt about that. And by the way, just to corroborate, which said when Don first came, and I told you the story when we were sitting um, having a breakfast, when Don first came to my office and told me about the affair, he did call you his soulmate at the time. And I looked at him, and of course, knowing um, Vanessa, his then wife, I said, what are you talking about? Why, when, and with who? And when he ultimately told me that it was you, and I said, was this shit going on during season five of The Apprentice? And he said, no, 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 no. He goes, it started at season five. We falling in love with each other's mind. Right. The little smacks here, the little, you know talks on the side, but nothing physical, he goes, until the season ended. And then that's when it all started. But you also told me that... You want to he, hear the story about that? It's kind of a good one. It's juicy. I'll give, I'll give you a little tiny bit of juice. 
So um, all of that is true. We, um, the first contact was made by him. He tweeted me during the season um, and then he DM'd me a private message. That went on uh, and all of it was just um, our witty banter. And then one day he called me on the Trump phone in my hotel. Um, and, and um, you know, I think we clear, I clearly want to say that like, of course we were falling in. I, I mean, that show, I think films for almost like two months back in the day, it's filmed for a godly amount of, of, of days. I mean, nowadays you're three weeks in and out. That was a much longer show, especially if you make it to the end. So we're around each other every day off camera, on camera. Then when we'd go home, sometimes we would unload. My assistant remembers that I met him sometimes um, at the hotel we were staying at. He would call to to want to meet up. Um, I asked her, I don't, I don't remember that, but she said many times you'd meet with him. I guess we were kind of like developing this friendship. I do remember one conversation where he had asked me, you know, you're down to the end. Do you want my help? Um, and I said, no. And that was something that he hung on to as I think his first pillar of understanding that there's a type of trust between us that is not anywhere dependent on him being able to provide something for me. Meaning his name didn't mean shit to me. I actually just wanted to be where we were at for him and I. So that we wrapped. I think you stay a week longer to do interviews and pickups and things like that. I was hosting a gay club and our first time going out together, I told he wanted to see me so bad. And I was like, well, I'm going to be at a gay club tonight. And um, Marco Andretti, I think we had Mario. Mario's the father, right? Yeah. So Marco had a crush on me. He had come to the finale and he was like going to come to the gay club because he liked me. And I kind of told Don. So Don shows up to the gay club. My assistant brings me in and I'm talking about this is like one of the biggest gay parties in New York. It's a huge fucking club and everybody is in a G string or less. And can I was just in my soul like there's no way that the man that I've seen it suited up for the past couple months is going to show up here to see me in this lovely land that I get to be in. And he did. And my assistant said he was very comfortable and she remembered him like being totally chill and nice with everybody, which I mean, I looked at his Instagram for the first time in years the other night and saw like all kinds of jokes, uh, you know, kind of belittling the gay community, transgender women, etc. Like, and I thought to myself, man, you were super comfortable in that gay club. In fact, so comfortable that we ended up going to the bathroom and for the first time had sex in a gay club bathroom. I had spanks going from like my throat down to my knees because I was suited up for some press or whatever we were doing that day and I wanted to be extra tight skinny. He could not get these things off for the life of him. And so we literally like found a way to work around them and for the rest of our relationship, he called me spanky because of these spanks that otherwise would be one of the most humiliating stories ever. But it was very him and I. Yeah, it's definitely not the same Don. And I say this all the time. It's not the Don who I knew. 
It's not the Don no, who I cared about. It's not the Don I who think... I liked as a person, as like a younger brother. I didn't. I don't like what he's become at all. In fact, no. you know, probably even more during your pruning sessions, things that he would say about his own father. I mean, the, it's interesting as a family how they, each and every one of them, had comments about the other. And not just about the other, by about their spouses and so on. What did he ever tell you about his relationship with his father? I mean, let me put it this way. I know everything likely that that he knows and this or experienced because he loved me and he trusted me. And that's why I'm not going to sit here and um, unleash all of his, you know, deepest, darkest secrets. But I can talk to you on a broader level about the relationship and give you a better understanding. And I think what I, I witnessed at dinner between you and I was a commonality of maybe many others of being involved in this family. I, I know that you really liked Trump senior at one point you admired him and, and you, you still have that you, you've seen him in those I, days. And, and imagine- let me, but let me say this because that's a great point and I'm glad you bring it up. I don't regret the times that I had spent at the Trump organization, I regret what's happened to me as a direct result. I regret the fact that I wasn't stronger myself and say no, right, to certain things. The, the, way that, the way that the media, the way that the media has spun me into this John Wick, this Ray Donovan, this, uh, it's, it's just not true. I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoyed my time with my colleagues there as well. I know you did. Listen, let me clear that up for you because that is something I want to do for you on this. Number one, um, you absolutely never Ray Donovan'd me. I was never silenced. You gave me options. You told me, you yes, you were sent to me to clean things up when the family was, you know, potentially trying to move on to what they ended up becoming. And Don didn't want to leave like we discussed and you had conversations with me and I'm sure you were sent. However, and and those are the things that you and I can take accountability for. Like I'll talk, I'll talk about my accountability in a second, but let me finish with yours. Those are things you can take accountability for. But as someone that was on the other side of something that they wanted to have cleaned up, you never disrespected me. You never raised avenge me. I don't give a fuck what the media says. To be completely honest, the biggest assholes are the ones that the the media praises and some of the best people I know they they kill. Uh, there are are serious journalists that do care about the truth and those people I really appreciate, but they're few and far between and to ever live your life with any type of concern for them would be a wasted life. One. Two, you're a great man. You're a great father. You're a great husband. And when you were there, you you loved that environment and, and attributes of that man. Now, he didn't have that same loyalty back with you. Either did I either either in my situation was I chosen or else I'd be married with our child right now. Maybe multiple children. You know what I'm saying? So so. I think in that and and in and in, in saying that, you know, I did tell you, we discussed this a bit, like the way that he presented his relationship with his wife versus what the possible realities could have been. When when Trump first started running and and I'd see all these girls come forward about him, 
I always thought to myself, we, we were keeping Don Jr. out of the media the whole time. You and I had many conversations when people got pictures, stories, whatever they had. We kept it out of the media many times. I don't know how or what, but I never confirmed or spoke with anybody. And that's basically what you said. If we don't want this being there. And I never wanted it being in the media because I wasn't there for that reason. And I really loved that man. And I will always love him. I don't believe that you stop loving someone like who he is now. I I love in a in a sorrowful way. Like I feel sorrow for him and frankly, the entire the entire organization because I only seeing it adored by the people they're obviously stepping on and taking advantage of and have their entire presidency, the people that got them there, or there's really wealthy people that were happy that their taxes got better and their the financial, they got financial, they got to have conservatism back in their financial lives, which is all Don really cared about in regards to being a conservative or a Republican. He was giving money to Democrat, uh, people, Democrats that were running all the time. There, he was not as he was not doing what he's doing now. I think they chose him to be the QAnon guy and that's who he became. But, but, um, but he, I think like what I see now and from all of them is like, I got to hear Don's dreams. You wanna talk about something I will say in the shower hour, he, wanted to to help low-income families and build housing projects that were good for the environment and he was meeting i would go with him to the meetings with all kinds of people and every time he'd get advances in that project he would try to get funding from a bank and his dad would stop it either because they work with him or out of respect for potentially getting his work one day and it was a very it was a point of contention that was very very deep rooted for him because he did want to be something else other than what he ended up becoming and from what I understand from the things he's told me, potentially all of the kids did. I didn't hear much about Eric. Eric's such a non-factor in every way. I don't know what he played there, but he was a movable object to all of them. There, I didn't see him dislike or like it. They seemed that they did brotherly things together and shot the shit and talked about whatever they were doing, you know, the naughty bad things they were doing. And other than that, I, there was not there was not much energy put into into him specifically. Everybody else, yes. Yeah, and what about the relationship with Ivanka? I think there was I think there was a lot of pitting them against each other happening at very young ages. We discussed this. You saw that as well. Now, what we differed in in our takes was my take was Ivanka was running the ship. Your take was totally different when we went to dinner. And I was shocked at that because I know that from what I was told, when, when you know, Don was fighting to stay with me, he was having us meet with media trainers. He created like a, a five-year plan of how this, at this point, my kids have to be accepted into these private schools. We can't have ugly things coming out in tabloids at that point because they don't like that. They frown upon it. My kids could potentially be damaged by that. There has to be settlements with, you know, a separation. There has to be this, there has to be that. Then it can't be that we've known each other this whole time and uh, we'd have to accidentally have met back up and remembered each other from the past. I mean, there was this plan in play that he was dedicated to 
any time he spoke with me. So dedicated that when it started to get very tricky, he would always tell me, you have to stop doubting this. You have to stop. Like I would say, let's just stop this. This is getting too intense. This is potentially damaging. I didn't understand how damaging because I always felt like Vanessa was very aware of me until I spoke with her. Did I understand a bit more of what she was aware and unaware of? And, and as part of my accountability, and I'm, I, if there's anything I ever do in my life that she would see, it would likely be with you. So I want to use your platform to, to, for the first time, offer her an apology. I, I am very sad that at that age, I, I did not have the maturity or the self-love to say no and recognize that, yeah, I love this man and he loves me, but there's a lot of things that need to happen before that can be cultivated. And, you know, at that time, I kind of rationalized everything as I'm not lying to anybody and I never have. I'm not cheating on anyone and I never have. I'm not breaking promises to anyone and I never have. If he is, then he needs to figure that out. But I'm not and I haven't. And I'm with him all the time. And I heard their conversations. It all sounded like business to me, what I heard. So, so I just kind of like blocked everything out except this incredible love. I mean, I've never seen somebody love me the way he did. By the way, you are 100% correct, Aubrey. You're, you're correct in the fact that you're not the one who broke the promise. That's on, that's on him. He was the married man. And one of the things that, yes. you know, one of the things that we also talked about is the fact that he and Ivanka were always in competition with one another. And that competition was created by the father, by the uh, structure at the company and so on. And he used to tell a lot of stories um, about Ivanka, that Ivanka is not what you see on the outside is what she wants you to see, but who Ivanka really is. Do you care if I talk about, question, do you care if I talk about like things we discussed? Maybe I, a little, absolutely not. not. I would like you to go for it. Okay. So like you told me that she was kind of like a dummy and seen as a dummy and like, go get her some shoes and that'll make her happy or go put press shiny things in front of her face. My understanding of her was she was the, the hand inside of the puppet master. She had the office next to him when he went to the white house, that she was there to make calls. Now, maybe it was Jared making calls through her. I think that obviously Trump's natural state is to be able to hear women before men um, based off of, you know, what we've all seen and witnessed and you know no, what that means. No, no, no. So but what I, I had, I, no, no, I, but uh, Aubrey, one sec. What I had said to you, what I had said to you is I believe that Don innately is the brightest of the three children, the three yeah, eldest absolutely children. Is. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Ivanka is the most so prepared. Non freak, and he has to wake up to Kimberly Garfield's face every morning. You mean gargoyle? I don't know how bright it is. You mean gargoyle? I, 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 whatever. I can't say her name correctly. It just is. I don't want to have to take so, the time. So the point I was making is Don is definitively, in my opinion, the most. He's the brightest, uh, innately brightest, uh, but he's a fuck up. Then uh, Ivanka is by far the most prepared of all of them. She won't go on an interview yeah. unless she knows every single question. She will script out the blowing of her hair, 
right? The father, Donald, used to turn around when she would leave. He'd be like, she's just lucky that she's so good looking. That all yeah, women, that all, that all women, that. remember I said this to you? That all women want to be her and all men want to sleep with her. I turned around and said, yeah, I'm not 100% certain that that's true. He goes, no, no, it is. That's why, like, he would send her on certain deals because there'd be a banker there, a guy, and so on. It was like almost sending your own kid. Even like hot women, of course. Well, that's, that's the it's way he thinks. Was, there was an article in, like, the Washington Post or New York Times. I can't remember who, but they actually discussed beautiful women get better pay better jobs, higher positions. It's like a, a factual thing that they've studied, um, which is very unfortunate. Hopefully times are starting to change a bit. But um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely saw that being her role. I thought it was, uh, I felt like from what I understood from Dawn that everybody that was aware of the affair when things started to get hectic, um was okay with us being together except when Ivanka was visited by Vanessa that was a big problem and that's what started the conversations that you and I started to have to have so it it, it made me feel like she has some amount of power and that because because the father knew and didn't care well why why would he why would he care living in a house with his child on the side and just stayed a secret like many powerful men have and do. Um, and like, you know, still have been able to be with him potentially. I don't know. Now, I was always told by Don's friends, you know, I, I when I, we first started dating, I told Don, you know, I don't know how to explain your marriage to my friends in a way that they'll understand it because they don't live at that level of power and money. They don't have contracts. They don't have to provide certain things to their wives and whatever else he would tell me. Like, so I, I'm like, people just think I'm getting fed bullshit. And he's like, then let me sit in front of them. And he, he did. And every single person he sat in front of walked away and said, okay, he really loves you. He's serious about this and he wants to make this work. And, and I think the only thing that ever really was hard for him was he said he felt his boys would be okay because his dad did this to them and they ended up okay. But he didn't want to be the first man that taught his daughter that men weren't shit. Yeah. Well, and, and you'll remember. That was hard. Sure. But you'll remember also that it was more about the fact that you were on The Apprentice that really pissed Senior off. And Ivanka... Was it? I didn't know that. Yeah. And it was Ivanka who was taking a adult's role in this, right? Um, Don was just being Don and having this affair. And yes, Vanessa found texts between the two of you. And it was those texts... Oh, I know. She wrote me the, in the middle of the night... This is over. I don't love you anymore. Uh, we're not, we were, the next day, I think we were flying to maybe Mexico. We had a flight. We were going somewhere. And um, he said she put something in his drink, went through his phone and she saw, I don't know what was, I don't know exactly what was in his phone, but in the morning when they woke up, he said, he wrote me an email and he said, hey, 
Both my phones are gone. I don't know where they are. I've checked the couch. I've checked this. They were at the upstate house. And he said, um, you know, I love you. We're boarding our plane later. I'll call you when I get back into the city um, and have access. And he said the entire ride home, she kept saying, how are things going for you, puppy? How's your kitty doing? Like dropping nicknames, places, things, suggestions, whatever that it was like the most passive aggressive couple hours back to the city that he had ever experienced. And I wrote him back right away and I said, oh, she she has earphones. Because when he wrote to me, we'd usually end, end our day, like we'd do tree time at the end of the night where he would talk, he would walk home and we'd talk all night. He'd walk around the city and we'd just talk until it was like 9, 10 PM. He would go into his house. And then of course we don't talk till the next day when he leaves for work. And when he went back into his house that day, he had still texted me a bit. And then like, had to have been three in the morning there, maybe midnight for me, I got a text that said, I don't love you anymore. We're canceling the trip. I love my wife. I don't want to be with you. And I looked at it and my heart like dropped. And I, and I was like, I, this, this man made me believe to, he, he grew Mount Everest from a piece of rock on the ground for me and then carried me up it on his back and we were almost at the top. There's no fucking way that it goes down like this and one message on a text. And then I wrote back, what are the cufflinks? What did I get you for your birthday? And there was no response. And that's when I knew she had his phones. So then how did Vanessa confront you? Um through a lot of phone calls. Um, but, but going back to my apology to her, I want her to know if she's listening or anyone can pass this on to her. A, I'm, I, I wanna apologize to her too. Um, until I saw my best friend have a child, I watched her give birth, I was in the room. The first thing I thought of after, wow, this is incredible and a miracle. And I'm sure you've been in the room when your wife's given birth. It's just a godly thing to see life created and life taken. I've seen both at this point now. Life created is just so vibrates so spiritually high. And, I, and I'd never seen it. And once I saw that, I thought to myself, you know, I always felt like they had probably a good friendship, potentially, if they built a way to... Uh, create a, a positive presentation of the family to everyone. I knew that there had to, that to have been partners in the business of family at the very least. I knew, the, I knew that the love he had for me was much deeper and different for all kinds of reasons. But, but when I saw that, I thought to myself, that woman did this for that man multiple times. She had to have really loved him to do this. And, and that's, that's when I, I first felt like a huge feeling of guilt inside my stomach and pain that I ever took whatever she had with him. I broke something pretty big in it. And as a woman that then after the fact was in a horrible relationship and was cheated on and went through all kinds of chaos and hell hell probably she never even had to go through but my own version of hell with the horrible guy did I understand the full picture so I would love to tell her I received my karma back 
for, for much longer than I ever expected. I didn't go on to um, ever laugh at her or wanted to take something from her. When she would talk to me, she would always talk about, you're young, you can find somebody else. I can't, you can do this, I can't. And then I would be like, well, Vanessa, like in all of this conversation, you haven't once said you love him. I love him. I love him. Hell of a conversation. But you know, when Don came to my office and yeah, he had tears in his eyes, but very quickly those tears dried up and he immediately immersed himself into telling stories about you. He, of course, talked regularly to me about his siblings, but when it came to you, he used to say that we sexed all night long, meaning on text message, you know, sexy text messages and so on. Did he have any, like, favorite phrases that he would say to you? Because he would talk about the sexting all the time. Okay, so so that's interesting to me because, like, when we would have sex, he would always talk about wanting to have a baby, putting a baby in me, and he and I would say, "You already have kids. Why?" And he would say, "Because I want to see what I would make with you." And and everything that made him horny and desire me was all based off of our mental connection. So that mean, meaning he's a sapiosexual, so am I. We weren't even turned on unless we'd be in the room like playing a game of categories and I'd beat him and rip up my thing real quick and I flushed it down the toilet. He would like have the toilet being pumped by the hotel staff to put the pieces back together and it would turn him on. Like our brains were like competitive and wrapped into each other and into each other's intellect and dreaming of what everything could be, what he could be. I mean, I think I was literally the last person in his life that could have given him an out. I think that's why he held on to me because he had cheated before. He told me he had had affairs before, but that he never loved any of them. He only fell in love and wanted to leave his life for me. And so this only happened once. And, and the other things were potentially driven sexually. You told me about drinking. I never saw him to be a drunk, but I know you were discussing his father's issues with him in that regard. Maybe that's why the other affairs happened. I don't know. I mean, I do know on the phone with Vanessa, she did ask him, like, Don, do you love her? Like, tell her you don't love her now and wrap this up. So it seemed like maybe she had been, maybe had been through it before. I don't, I, I, I can't say or not. But, but part of my apology in saying that is I, I don't think a woman scorned ever gets over it. You know, when I, I'd be in therapy for, you know, personally, some things I won't talk about today that in ways that I sacrificed the greatest way a woman could, you know, those things. So, so I obviously had to go through a lot of therapy because that was the first time I had ever experienced that. And in my therapy, I just went on and on and on. And I remember one day my therapist finally saying, Aubrey, we're getting nowhere. I kept retelling the stories like this had to have mean th meant this. This I, 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 I would play back every convert. I, I have everything in writing. I mean, talk about a bitch that has receipts, Michael. Good God. The majority of our conversation took pl a place on our, our phones and 
and talking, writing love notes to each other, you know? So, so like I would read them to my therapist and I would tell her like, this has to mean this, right? This, like, I was just so puzzled because he was just so adamant about that, that, that we needed to stay a team and that we were going to make this happen. And he drew the path. He showed me the map. He introduced me to the players that were going to help us. So to me, I just never thought in a million years. And um, when I would talk to my therapist, she said, listen, we're going to start re-narrating this story. You had this great soulmate. He's your soulmate. You're his. It was this great love. This You finally were seen in life. And he saw you so much that he knows you love a cereal in the morning. So he woke up one morning, he got in his car to go get some milk because you guys were out so he could fill a bowl full of your favorite cereal and bring it to you. And he got hit by a car and he died. So he's dead for you now. So let's start the process of grieving a death because this is never going to happen again. This is not good for you. This is not healthy. This person is dead in your life. So that is how I managed to start understanding that these things that people say in, in relationships when they cheat or your wife catches you or you take somebody back that does it, you, the therapist tells you push the restart button. I don't know where this magical restart button is. You certainly can't find it on Amazon. And I must have lost the fucking instructions because there's no such thing as a restart. You will never be able to restart what the days in prison that you served, the love and loyalty and appreciation and admiration you had for someone and how fucked up and dirty they did you at the end of the day. You're never going to be able to click a restart. You want war. What I told you is I want you to want peace. I had to go to Bali to learn that I want peace, but, and, and peace for me means I'm not going to compromise myself anymore and tell the stories of the people that are more powerful and have more money than me, because that's what I'm supposed to do. If I want to be relevant, then fuck being relevant. Fuck the media, fuck playing the games. There are a million things that you and I can do. We are very smart human right. beings. I, I, for and me, I said to you though, Aubrey, it wasn't war that I wanted. It's I wanted accountability. That's what you and, said. Dinner, and then, you, and said then you, and then you said, you said, but it seems like for you, accountability is war. And I said, well, if accountability is war for me, then war it is. You know, that's that's how I kind of remember the story. But I will I want to share something else that we also talked about. Is there no one more embarrassing in the world than that family? You, you've won, Michael. You got some prison time. I was at a restaurant with all the big, powerful people in New York that you had me go to. And every five minutes we were interrupted by someone shaking your hand and telling you, thank you, sir, for what you've done for us. I think they just wanted to come over to take a look at you. But putting all that aside, one of the things that um, I get a phone call that Donald, father, wants to see me. And he comes in, he goes, you working on this? I said, working on, he goes, on Dawn. So I turn around, I was like, you're talking about the affair? So he goes, yeah, I'm talking about the fucking affair. So he goes, you, fi you fix this. You make sure that this shit doesn't come out, especially now into the press. He goes, he goes or, and you let Dawn know, I'm disgusted with him and that, if this isn't resolved and if this becomes a big shit, he needs to pack his shit and get the fuck out of here. 
So I went down to Don to his office and I sat him down and I said, your father's really fucking pissed. All right. This is way beyond what I, what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. Even like my conversation with you from the very first conversation we ever had. I think we laughed more than anything. We were just talking. It was like I almost felt like I knew you for a long time. And I sat down with Don and I said, I understand the attraction. I get it. I totally understand it. But it's got to stop. And you got to figure out how to how to make this right with Vanessa. All right. You know, I'm a fan of Vanessa's. So I said, you got to make it right with her, because if you don't. Your father's going to throw your ass out of here. All right. And I don't know. I and I said, and Don, I don't know what the fuck you're capable of doing. To which Don went crazy. Only me. It's always me. It's always me. My, he goes, you know, I'm always held to a different standard. Eric, Eric had a relationship with, um, you know, he had sex with some Miss Universe, right? That was on Celebrity yeah. Apprentice, all right, on the table, right? And, and Ivanka has her own issues regarding sexuality and so on. And he went on and on and on. And he's like, but me, if I, if I you know, want something different, if I, and I was like, Don, your father didn't call me in to talk about Eric. Your dad didn't call me in to talk about Ivanka. He called me in to talk about you and Aubrey. So let's talk about you and Aubrey. What are you going to do? So he says, I don't know. I said, wow. Wow. I said, you know your dad's fucking serious. All right. You won't even have the ability to get into the building to pack your shit up. Right. So you really better start thinking twice. About So he goes, but what about, I can't believe, Eric gets a pass, Ivanka gets her passes, but not me. I said, well, maybe because you're the fucking namesake. All right, I don't know what it is, but that's why I'm down here. You need to figure it out. You need to go home, you need to have a sit down with Vanessa, and you got to figure it out once and for all, and you got to be fair to Aubrey. I did say it. I said, you have to be fair to Aubrey. You got you to gotta stop leading her around as if there's going to be a future. And he turned around and he goes, Can I tell you that he believed that there was going to be a future? Because he sure as fuck said it to me in very in-depth ways, including introducing me to the people that were going to create it. Oh, he talked about it all the time. He talked about how he wanted you to be his wife. That he saw a life with you. And I was like, okay. I said, then you're going to need to start a completely different life because you will not have executive vice president of the Trump organization attached. So you need to really sit down and figure out what your next move is and what your next play is. I have a question for you. So one of the last calls we had... Um, I asked him, so you just forget about me and move on? And he's like, no, I'll watch you for the rest of my life. And I said, so what happens? And he's like, Vanessa's going to make me block you on all of the social media, change all my phone numbers. And I was like, and then she's just going to get over it, move on. He said, no, I'm going to be on punishment. I'm probably going to have to give her another kid. And I said, okay, so that's how your life is going to end up like this, all the dreams, all the things. And he said, um, 
his life wasn't his. And he thought that he could do everything he told me he could until he was presented that day. I don't know exactly what happened that specific day, but he said he was presented with what would occur if he stayed with me. And that was things you're discussing. He's out of the will. He's not part of the family. He's locked out of the building. He's going to lose the ability to one day be the president's son. I mean, everything that comes with it, he would lose. Um, and so I wonder, my question is to you, and I don't know if you were around and when exactly the timing was that you weren't, but how was he, cause, cause his friends would always say to me, man, this is going to be a hard one. He wants to be with you. He wants you to be his wife. He think he tells us all this is going to happen, but we all know Vanessa is not going to let this happen. And I said, Vanessa doesn't have a choice. If somebody doesn't want to be in the marriage, they don't want to be in the, the marriage. They'll figure it out. And they were like, no, Vanessa's a different type of beast. She, she'll, she'll call the shots. I never knew what Vanessa had on him, but when I- Nothing. I, the answer is nothing. There's something he was scared of. He didn't want to pay the money she was wanting. Something was going on. But beyond that, what I want to know is, how was he finally able to leave her? And you know he was probably hooking up with Kim before Vanessa and him divorced. And I know things she was doing because I have friends in the secret service. So uh, like, how did that happen where they split amicably, amic amicably to the world? Do you know why, why could he do it? You were not there when that happened. No. Why could he do it with Kimberly, but not with you? Don't, don't know the answer at that point in time. Donald was already now president elect. And he was all president at the time. And so Don was now already one of the two executors of the Trump, of the estate, of the, uh, of the trust, which contained the Trump organization into it. So his financial future was no longer going to be dictated by, you know, um, by his father. His father had bigger issues to contend with than Donald's. And I want to be clear about something. I never saw Don binge drinking. I know there were a couple of occasions he told me uh, and he had told me about in his past where he like in Denver. where went from Denver all, even back in New York where he would unfortunately do more than what he should. But I tell you when I see his videos now I get very off. something's off and I don't Ooh. and I don't like it. And again I, I, I mean, still I have, have a million like things you. I could speak on with that, but I don't know. But like you, I, it, I still have you, I still yeah. have um, fond memories of all yes, the times I that I spent. I, and I'm afraid. I really am. When I watch those videos and see an unhinged Don Jr., right, to me, it almost appears like he's on speed, cocaine, or some sort of a drug. Did he ever indicate to you when you guys were together, that he liked to do coke, or that he was the, there was some other drugs, because that's not normal behavior that's going I, on. I on literally, his I literally got him to smoke pot. He didn't want to do it. I don't even know how much he'd ever done it in his life. And I rolled up a blunt and smoked him and that lawyer that he was always with out in our hotel room, and he vomited all night long, like in the toilet, like a five-year-old. He couldn't handle the, a fucking hit of weed. So, like, I absolutely, I, I, I've, 
I see, I've seen, you know, unfortunately we can't unsee the Trumps. They're just for a, t a period in time of our lives, they were everywhere. So now that we don't have to see them as much, I don't know. I, the last thing I saw was he, he was selling ground meat that comes to your door and lighting up his entire home with smoke, grilling it inside a home with the doors closed. I mean, it was like nonsense. But I thought to myself, now you're doing Instagram buys for meat products. Jesus Christ, like you were going to build affordable housing and housing in low income areas, marry a woman that was your soulmate and fucking be your own man. And you had all this ability to create positive change and be an inspiration in this world. And these videos and the shit that he makes, I saw him saying three things and he only had two fingers up. And I paused on it and I, whoever was with me, I was like, this man is brilliant. I do not understand anything he's done or, or said, but even just the fact that he said three, but he only has two fingers up. It's puzzling to me. This is a very, very smart man. He absolutely is not the human being that anyone is seeing. What I don't know is, is he putting on an act or... Well, here's here's two here's two no. reasons to make you potentially think otherwise. Let me say two things. I was blocked at the end of all of that. Once his divorce happened with Vanessa, I'm unblocked from everything. The only way that that could happen is if he went in and unblocked me off of all social media sites. Number two thing that I see is when Kimberly was doing the donor parties and the hot tub parties that I think BuzzFeed reported. That's a credible source. They had to source it through multiple people. She was having discussions in the hot tub jacuzzi parties about their sex. And it was reported in a, on a reliable journalism site. Ooh, I I wait, I'm it. so sorry. I just threw up in my mouth thinking about it. Ooh. Babe, don't even get me started. We already had it. <laughs> how many, how, yeah. Um, anyway, um, one thing I will say is uh, I definitely believe I was the best sex that man ever had. We were on a whole nother level of sex that was way beyond physical. Wait, 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 hold on, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. We were, we were back to Don Jr. and his rantings that make no sense with his eyes so squinted no, no, close no, that he looks you. like kids no, I remember I'm from you. college. I, no, I'm no, I'm telling you though. In these, in this article, he's. Kimberly says he loves it when she dresses up in outfits for him. One thing I know about that man that I can 100% bet my life on is he is not sexually aroused by fucking outfits. I don't buy it for a second. Michael, can we get can we get back can we can we get back to the intense blurriness that's in his eyes when he's having I, I these incoherent battles. And I'm with you on this, Aubrey. Aubrey, one sec. Aubrey, one sec. Aubrey, one sec. I'm with you on this. Don is incredibly bright. I acknowledge that, and I've always said it. This is not the Don I remember. And I remember he's always talked about his hunting. He always talked about his fascination with weapons and guns, motorcycles and so on, which I have the same affinity for. Um, I love motorcycles. About being Democrat or Republican. Yes. All so my it. so my point is when I see him with these crazy eyes that are three quarters shut, remember, you're one person, Kimberly Gargoyle is another. I don't know what he's doing while he's with her, but I can tell you one thing. 
whatever well, it is, whatever it is, it's no good. At Fox News, have you read the reports of what she was doing at Fox News? Yes. Then you know what he's doing. Yeah, I mean it's and if it's, those reports are accurate, then it is what it is. You know what you know what's going on. My thing is when you're living outside of your most authentic self, drugs are really the only way to cope. I I have been doing it for years now. Now I wasn't doing hard drugs. I was doing Ambien and Adderall. Once COVID hit, Ambien was the only thing I could do. And all I wanted to do was go to sleep because I knew way too much. And the Trumps were on my screen daily. Kanye's in the office. I know what they used to call him behind his back when he would text me. Um, and I just woke up one day and saw Kanye in the office. And I was like, wow, I know what they used to call him. And, um, and he's hugging them and John's in it and they're all, and I was like, we live in the fakest fucking country ever. This shit makes me fucking sick. I need to get the fuck out. I am too real for this shit. I cannot, I will die or I will leave. And I left. And when I left, I just had to adopt very slowly for two years, a different way of understanding and processing everything that I've learned to posture myself correctly about. And I'm done doing it. You're done doing it too. You you took some time in prison. Um, I'm happy I went to Bali instead of prison, but here we are two wounded soldiers by people that we saw traits in them that we loved and admired. And now what is the conclusion to me? You and I are left standing and I know a lot of people that are respecting you, your voice and how you're using it now. And they weren't respecting you before that. I know a lot of people that really appreciate me and my voice. And now you and I are talking together. What are they doing? Making videos where they're fucking, where they look high as fuck. And they've probably got built a land of people at Mar-a-Lago that make them all feel like they're still the most relevant thing in the world. When in reality, everybody's laughing. And yeah, there's a group of people in this country that are really stupid. We weren't concerned with them before and we're not concerned with them now. They'll do what they do. They're not interested in understanding the truth. If you ever have a conversation with any of the MAGA fan base that goes deep, they can't really back up half of the things that they say they like about them when you provide facts. I did it for a while. I tried to befriend them and ask them, hey, why do you really like this guy? Oh, because your kid's autistic and you think that he'll help because of this. Let me tell you what he's doing with the system. Let me tell you what he's trying to do with the medication that your son needs. Let me try to. And, and, and once we got down to that, it just became more about, well, I'm sick of these people of the system because Trump was representing the non-system finally winning. But he's the absolute embodiment of the system before he was ever the system he was making fake calls to the media trying to get stories run that he was cheating on his wife and he was fine with it as long as they called him a billionaire in the article we heard the tapes of him calling the journalist he wanted to be the system look Aubrey, the hour goes by really quick i could sit i could talk to you for hours and hours like we did that night at dinner the hour goes by quick, and so the hour is kind of over. But I do want to ask you one last question. What's Aubrey O'Day doing today? I don't want to give shit. No more. Last few minutes onto this, onto this program. What's Aubrey O'Day doing? What are you doing with yourself to keep yourself busy these days? Um, well, 
exactly in this moment, I just bought a home. So I'm, I'm undoing boxes prior to this, but in life right now, what I'm focused on is what got me healthy in life. So when I was in Bali, I got into alternative health living. I, you know, became certified in theta healing, Reiki healing. I was doing Wim Hof. I was um, experimenting with plant medicines, everything from um, shrooming and very intense PTSD shrooming sessions to ayahuasca to DMT. Um, breath work was a huge part of my journey. I have produced and created a show that I'm trying to sell right now that will uh, teach that world uh, through the youth, through the younger healers in that world, because we all see these healers as these Buddhas and these gurus with white beards that only speak a line a month. But there's all kinds of really cool young people that studied all the philosophies that are very interesting. And I want to make it more present to the current generation because we live in a TikTok era and the entertainment industry is collapsing. Nobody knows what it wants. Nobody knows what to be. There's nothing to copy because the things that are working are so absurd. TikTok's fucking owned by China and it's just going to help some elections get won eventually, just like Cambridge Analytica did. But everybody's stupid in this young generation to understand what they're contributing to. And meanwhile, I want to be part of showing them and teaching them. I mean, I have a goddaughter that's on Adderall and Xanax and she's in middle school. It's being pushed to children younger than me now. So, so I'm, I'm wanting through this show that I hope I can turn into a Ted talk and a reoccurring uh, series that we do with celebrities and non-celebrities. I also want to lobby Congress and I want to try to get breath work implemented in the elementary school system on a federal level. 15 minutes starting out in the morning could teach a child how to cope with anger, frustration, grief, emotions, the mental health aspect of why all these shooters that are killing people in mass numbers at these schools are un they have two things happening. Access to guns, which I am I work with the Giffords Foundation with. There, there's a lot of great lawyers that are in her foundation that are working on ways around the protections that these gun companies have. And on the other hand, I'm really wanting to establish legislation, just something small that we can get everyone to agree to that actually works, which is breath work. Eventually, microdosing will become available. There will be a lot of things that will become available that are better alternatives than synthetic drugs made in labs controlled by big pharma, which at the end of the day is basically just giving your life up to somebody else's yacht and expensive life. So Aubrey O'Day, the activist, I thank you. It's always good to see you, my friend. Congrats <laughs> on the new place. Uh, oh, by the way, on, on a completely other, like, fun, sexy level, follow me on OnlyFans. If there's anyone that watches this show that is a political junkie that loves how Michael's being our big hero, but also loves to, um, you know, have sex, don't we all? You can come look at the girl that Don Jr. was so in love with on my OnlyFans page. Um, and you can get that through going to my Instagram at Aubrey O'Day. There you go, Aubrey. Michael, you're not allowed to college. You're married. But trust and believe I will call it. You know what? You got it. <laughs> Aubrey, great to see you, my friend. And I will speak to you soon. And now for today's mea culpa. 
In hearing about Don Jr., I am reminded of how truly rancid and ruinous the political spotlight can be. Not that Don Jr. was some paragon of virtue before his father became president, but I knew him well, and I cared about him, and I actually liked him. I mean, he was a relatively sweet and unassuming kid. A rich kid with major daddy issues, but you can't help who you're born to. I mean, that's certainly for sure. I mean, all Don really wanted to be was a ski bum. I mean, that was the extent of his ambition, other than getting as far away from the fucked up world inhabited by his famous father. But that was not to be. What happened was Donald called him home, and he joined the family business, and ultimately adopted the tone of dad. What came next is what came next, and it's sad and frightening to watch what happened to him. Now the same thing can be said about RFK Jr. That man has spent the better part of his life living with the weight and legacy of the Kennedy name. Now much of it has been thrust upon him, while the rest has sought at some point, he has become enveloped in this madness that has only been made worse by the groupies who follow him and hang on his every word. Kennedy Jr. seems to fill them with hope that he can provide answers where there are none and fulfill some kind of twisted destiny. But it's all based on false pretenses and desires of others. Now I want you to understand that, that when that happens, you become the vessel for someone else's agenda a pawn in a larger war. The man is truly dangerous, not just him, but Don Jr., because he looks so harmless. I mean, he's technically a wolf in Kennedy clothing. So don't let the name fool you. Don't let the Don Trump Jr. name fool you either. The idea that he espouses, they are all truly dangerous. And I'm again, and I'm not just talking about RFK Jr. I'm talking about Donald Trump Jr. I'm talking about following in the legacy of their parents. It's just no good. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek, our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. Oh.